Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. What's up, everyone? Uh, This is a special episode with Ben Askren. If you don't know who Ben Askren is, he is one of the most famous MMA fighters in the world. He was an Olympic wrestler. He was in the UFC. Uh, he's got his own podcast, his own doing a whole bunch of stuff, launching a course, doing some cool stuff. He's one of the more interesting guys to talk to. He got famous because he was great in kind of his interviews during the UFC. And so me and Sam were big uh, MMA and UFC nerds, and we, we love this stuff. So we were we were pumped. You can probably hear it in our voice during the interview. We were pumped for this one. You know, I, I got up early. I did some research. I, I showered. I, I was I was excited for this. We've had billionaires on here, but I was way more excited to talk to Ben Askren. And so hope you guys enjoy. We talk a little bit about dealing with fear. I mean, these guys, they walk out in their underwear to fight another person who they've been talking trash to for the last two months with millions of dollars on the line, millions of people watching and a stadium full of people just watching them sort of hand-to-hand combat. So it's a, it's an incredibly intense pressure that very few people get to experience. So we asked Ben about how did he deal with fear? How did he get good at the act of competition? What is he doing post-career? Like what does an athlete do? How do they leverage their brand to build a business afterwards? And then he's also kind of active in the crypto space. So we talked a little bit about cryptocurrencies at the, at the very end, but I uh, hope you guys enjoy this interview. Anytime we just get a cool guest on who is somebody who's, they're kind of world-class at whatever they do, we're going to jump on that opportunity. So this is no different. Enjoy this episode with Ben Askren. Guys, we have Ben Askren today. If you're a UFC fan, which Sean and I both are, and Abreu is as well, then you absolutely know who he is. But if you're not a fan, I'm going to give background here. So I, uh, so Ben, Ben, uh, you went to the, you went to the Olympics, right? Yeah, 2008. So Ben was an Olympic wrestler. Um, he was famous in my home state of Missouri as a wrestler. Even when I was in high school, everyone talked about the Askren family and them being wrestlers. Mm-hmm. And he eventually went to uh, a variety of uh, different, I guess you could describe them to non-UFC fans, leagues in Asia, yeah. like championships. I think Bellator as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I fought mainly. Well, I, so I fought my first three fights in small promotions. Then I fought in Bellator for four years, and then I fought in one championship for four years. Uh, I retired at the end of my run with one championship, and then I unretired when I got traded to the UFC. Yeah. So we came to the UFC about two years ago, and it was a big deal. Ben was on uh, Joe Rogan, and everyone said that this was the guy that wasn't in the UFC, and he was the best guy that wasn't in the UFC. And why the hell isn't he in the UFC? And so we came to the UFC and caused a whole bunch of ruckus, which we'll get into, and. Mm-hmm he he's also kind of like a big deal in the crypto space and he's kind of like a a a big deal in like stoicism he's just kind of like a weird interesting person and and i met ben about six or something months ago on twitter we just became buddies on twitter then we started talking and ben is thinking about launching a course and i've just been giving him feedback and we just been shooting the shit and we just said you know ben come on the podcast so that's kind of how we how we kind of got to where we are yeah. So yeah, my, my life has been interesting. I've, I've done a lot of uh, things besides fighting. I have a lot going on right now, podcasting. My brother and I own five wrestling academies. 
We own a couple of the buildings. So I've got my hand in a, a wide variety of things. I'm really interested in, you know, social media, content creation, that type of thing really, really interests me a lot. And obviously, you know, I got interested in business later. I took zero business classes, but obviously when I decided to start a business in 2011 with AWA, I got more interested. And now it's became like a fascination to me. And you know, actually I tell my wife, so when I was younger, I would literally work out like every single day. And if I went on vacation and I didn't have my workout, I'd start getting a little nutty. And she'd be like, bro, you need to go work out. Like, you know, <laughs> to leave, go do something. And now it's, it's kind of the opposite. I have like this obsession over business and finance because I, and I feel like I've, you know, 12 years, 15 years late to the party because I didn't do any of it in college. And so I feel like now I'm just trying to rapidly absorb as much as I can to understand more and more about business, finance, how, and the ways the world really works. So if you were like black belt level, I know there's not black belt in wrestling, but if you were like yeah. black belt level at wrestling, which is essentially you're an Olympic wrestler, you kind of invented yeah. your own brand of wrestling, really. Yes. You had mastery in that. Now with, you know, your post UFC career, I think you retired, was it just a year ago? Like it's not It not was, yeah, last November. So yeah, less yeah. than a year. Less than a year. Where do you say you're at on the business side of things? Well, so we, we started our business 2011, my brother and I did with our high school wrestling coach. Uh, at that point in time, I wasn't even, I didn't even have the intention of working there. I was actually living in Arizona when we, when we decided to open the first one. Um, there is a good MMA gym here called Rufus Sport. And so I decided to move back in the summer of 2011. So that was like three or four months after the gym opened. I, and you know what? It's just fun. It's fun to be there. I love coaching wrestling. I love working with the kids. And, and then on top of that, the business side, business side started being fun for me also. So we opened up gym number two in 2013 and gym number three in 2017. And then we just obviously this spring has been riddled by coronavirus, but we've essentially opened up gym four and gym five uh, this spring. Gym five is going to come online in like a month or two, but you know, it's, it's getting there. It's been slowed down by Corona. So yeah, so the business side has been fun. And then obviously I've, I've kind of ventured into other aspects of business also. So um, I don't know, we'll say purple belt, maybe blue belt, purple belt. I think, I think right. I'm learning. Um, you're like a really good blue belt. It's just, you got to put in that time to get the purple. Yeah, so, absolutely. So when you went into the UFC, now this is not a knock on you, but I would say you were probably the least athletic, great MMA fighter. Would you, <laughs> would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I mean, for, for elite level wrestling or elite level mixed martial arts, for your traditional athletic abilities, you know, strength, speed, et cetera, et cetera, I think I would score very, very low compared to mo most of my peers. I do think I have some one, some things that are kind of a little harder to see. You know, one of them that a lot of people don't talk about is proprioception, like understanding where your body is in space. And wrestling specifically, I think that is huge. And whether I came out of the womb like that or whether I learned that from being on the mat just for many, many, many hours – that's one thing, but that's something. And then I have this really weird, like isometric strength. And again, I think that's probably been developed through wrestling, but I can What is isometric? That's like grip strength? Or? Like squeezing, holding. Yes. I've seen and, a know, video of you. A, a and I don't know if this was like, a, if it was a doctor, I don't know if it's a viral video, but there's a video of you on the internet. It's, if you haven't seen this, you probably haven't, but go look it up if you're listening to this. Ben Askren, YouTube, watermelons. And just, he's squeezing a watermelon like not with any like big buildup, you're just holding it and then you start to squeeze and then you just crush two watermelons yes. uh, simultaneously, which is kind of insane. And Ben, uh, most people can't do that. Uh, most, even, <laughs> even most MMA wrestlers couldn't do that. Correct. They can, they can, no, I actually saw it. So what, there was a really good wrestler. I mean, we're talking about, I think he's a three-time national champion and he did one. I think it was like 4th of July. It was somewhere around there. 
And so I saw him do one. And I said, F that. I'm, I'm going to go do buy two. two. I'm going to do two. <laughs> and I did two. And, you know, I thought, obviously, I had the social media following. So, you know, my, my video went, went quite viral. Uh, but, yeah, I've done it a few other times since then when people have challenged me to back it up because, you know, they thought I was lying or being fraudulent. Right. So they'll bring a watermelon and squeeze it. And I've, I've popped it a few more times. <laughs> and just to give the listener even more perspective, Ben, you, like, I, I, in, the, in Sean, the world that Sean and I, in the UFC world, you're a huge deal. So how can I give perspective to the, um, to the listener? So you have, what, maybe 2 million social followers? I um, know. Uh, man, you're way overrating me. I have, I'm at, I'm at 325 on Twitter, and I'm at, like, a little over 600 on Instagram. So A million? Uh, yeah. Okay. So a million. That's fair. So I, but my, my, Insta, my Twitter following is fairly, fairly rabid. I, I get quite a bit of interaction. Um, I have a lot of fun. I, I love the Twitter medium. I don't really love Facebook or Instagram or I don't do Snapchat at all. Uh, but I love like the wittiness. And you know, the one thing I love about Twitter is egalitarian. Any, anyone can speak. Anyone can get in a conversation. And for what it's worth, I think you can find out whether people are full of shit and whether they're smart pretty damn quickly. Right. Yeah, it's, it's better better background check than anything else. Just go scroll yes. through the timeline. And, yes. you know, I'm glad you're on the pod because there's a lot of great, like, let's say athletes or especially UFC fighters that me and Sam would be big fans of, but I wouldn't necessarily want on the podcast. Like, okay, I'd want Dana on. I'd want probably Conor McGregor on. But that's a short list. You're, you're right there with it. It's like, cool, Nate Diaz is a great fighter, would not make for a great uh, podcast. And so <laughs> – Well, we had – and we had Lance Armstrong on, and that, he's not a fighter. How'd he do? He, he, well – he was cool. uh, he's amazing. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. He's, he, came, uh, he was very real. And I think for somebody like that, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of your one of the most infamous moments for you. But like, for Lance, he obviously has, you know, very polarizing personality. And I yeah. don't know if it's just because it's been many years, but he just sat down and just shot the shit with no filter. And yes. uh, people Love loved it. it. And I loved it because and I don't know if he just is tired of giving a fuck and he's like, okay, I, I don't need to like, are <laughs> awesome. this anymore. It's been 10 years or whatever. Um, but, but, you know, that was really great, but I'm glad you're here because you can tell us about kind of like two different worlds, right? So there's the, like, how to be a great athlete world. There's the business world, but there's another world, which is about a year ago today. And, you know, mm -hmm. sorry for bringing it up, but yeah, it's all good. Um, I did my Hawaii interview about it this morning. Yeah. So, so I'll just put out a tweet. Uh, I'll, I'll read your tweet about it, which was imagine the most embarrassing moment of your life getting replayed incessantly on Twitter. So for those who don't know about yeah. a year ago, you had a big fight. I was actually in the arena. Um, oh, nice. in Vegas and uh, you were fighting this guy you guys had talked a bunch of shit to each other yep. and it was a huge build up and then the fight starts and he sprints at you you do what you do best which is you go for a, a wrestling takedown he does this crazy flying knee knocks you out in five seconds and it looked horrible <laughs> it, it, looked, it looked awful I was like and in tears when it happened I was like oh my god Sam, <laughs> Sam was like crying I was just in I shock was devastated. I, uh, I was in the arena man. and so then of course, because you were a high profile guy and because you um, talked a lot of shit beforehand, you know, Twitter tried to give it back to you. So tell, tell me about like, and then I, and then I gave it back to Twitter. I, I own those trolls. And you did. So, okay. So if you were going to write, you had a very unique experience, right? Like yeah. um, if you were going to sort of write the book or give the playbook on dealing with, you know, your worst nightmare, your public, public humiliation, uh, dealing with it, what are the, what are the different steps or different stages that you went yeah. through? Well, so funny enough, so Sam, we talked about Sam encouraging me to do a course, my co course that is coming out, and I taped it, well, last Monday. So we're, we're doing a new website for me, and then we are um, the editing stages of the videos. Um, 
but I, I've had this passionate interest in, in sports psychology for, for many years. And I always thought I would write a book. And so it's going to come in video format, which is probably, I think, more 2020 than, than writing a book. Right. And I suck at writing, so it's going to be much easier. You know, we, I, and I talk a lot about that failure. But, if, you know, we can kind of circle back to Lance. And, and this is, I actually said this. I was really talking to Ariel about this this morning. I think it's one of the reasons that George is getting over so well. It's authenticity is highly valued. And in 2020, where everything's on social media, man, it's pretty easy to figure out really quick if someone's being authentic or if they're being a fraud. And, you know, M Marty, the other guy who's fighting for the title at welterweight, I, I think, I, you know, I knew him before he was kind of a big deal. Right. And that person and the person that are, you know, who he is now, is just, it's just not, not the same thing at all. And so I think with Lance, um, you know, he probably had all those years built up of having to kind of be inauthentic. And, and you could tell he's just like a dude that just wants to act normal. And I think like, you know, obviously you watch the doc on ESPN 30 for 30. It's like that authenticity is just coming out and people appreciate it. And, and I really thought, I love the doc. I thought he did a great job of saying, listen, I effed up. I was bad to this person. I was bad to that person. And it just felt like he was just saying it like it was. And people, people love that. And so, you know, that, that's for me is just like, just be authentic. And, a, and one of the biggest things I talk about in, uh, in the course coming up is that you, you don't want to tell your ego to the outcome. It, it, when that is the case, um, it, le it leads to a whole bunch of bad things. But that, and that's my ego wasn't tied to the outcome. Whether I get knocked down in five seconds or whether I win and then I fight for the title next, I'm I'm the same dude uh, as as before that five seconds. Ben, how many um, MMA fights have you had? I had tw so I, I'm retired. Obviously, I had, I had 21, 19 wins, two losses. What was the most amount of live people at one of your fights, and what was the most amount of viewers? Or and is there any numbers? Yeah, if people watch that. <laughs> your second to last fight well that went a hundred a hundred billion <laughs> <laughs> yeah i so that 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 is probably watch uh, i mean a hundred billion is probably a low estimate of how many times that effing like impressions watch. yeah impressions yeah. yeah so i would say you know one championship did a great job of selling out arenas so Be bellator my my last fight in bellator they were starting to do larger arenas it was in mexico i think it was six thousand seats it was sold out um, one championship, every fight I fought in in one championship was sold out. And then obviously UFC has, has great crowds as well. So really my, you know, my last 10, 11 fights were fought in front of sold out arenas. So 10 to 20,000 maybe. And then, yeah. mm -hmm. um, in the hundreds of thousands for pay-per-views, uh, yeah. and then if you had an illegal streamers, yeah. Sean, uh, then we're talking, <laughs> uh, a lot more than Man, that. And so, yes, a lot more. So millions of views. Um, yes. And when we talk about business a lot, I, we always say, or I always say that launching and building shit, intellectually, it's not that hard, but emotionally, it's quite challenging to overcome like fear. And I remember uh, yes. the hustle, we launched this ideation boot camp, and I was texting, I think you yeah. the day before, I was like, oh my God, I'm so fucking so afraid. Like, I'm so <laughs> nervous about this. And sometimes I think like, I'm like, well, Lewis and Clark just traveled the country where they didn't even know where they were going for three years and they did it. No before. idea. Like launching this course, it's not a big deal. And and then other times I'm like, Ben or all these other guys like go and, and fight to the death potentially in front of millions of like millions of people. In, in, in your in underwear. underwear. In your underwear. <laughs> and I'm like, I can launch this stupid freaking thing. Like I'm sitting at my desk yeah. and I like complain about my back hurts because I get to sit down all the time. What's that feel like when you are preparing for something? And what's it feel like like when I was I ran track and field in college, I remember like 30 minutes before a race when you're just sitting down after you warm up, you're like, oh, I don't want to fucking do this. God, this sucks. What am I doing? I'm quitting. This is my last time. What like 
what what's that like 30 minutes in the backstage when you're just waiting yeah uh so i mean i i've been i guess like i don't say fighting but wrestling you know with the wisconsin high school state tournament is fifteen thousand fans sold out so i mean i was doing that as a 14 year old the in-state tournament which i made the finals all four years in that's 20,000 fans sold out every every single year and so you know i don't want to say it's normal to me but it, but it kind of is at the same time I mean, i'm doing it for all of my adult life and you know i i guess i I talk about this in the course too, but finding what works best for you. And for me, I'm an overthinker and I learned that at a really early age. And I had a coach that was, you know, kind of gave me some insight into that because he he was a similar way. And that's the biggest thing that helped me is, is I, I find my zone. I I take my mind off of, uh, you know, whatever task is, is ahead because you know, that, that 30 minutes to an hour that nothing's going to happen. You're not going to make anything better or worse. You're not going to figure out some magical thing in that, in that period of time. So for me, it's just about staying relaxed and enjoying the moment and getting ready to compete uh, as hard as I can compete. So practically, how do you do that? Like, what did you, did you listen to music? Did you watch a TV show? Did you just sleep? What what, what did you try to do in the back before the fights? I always have, I always have people I enjoy with me in my corners. I mean, a little bit, I, I, I tell kids this cause I'm like, listen, dude, I, I put my money where my mouth is. I'm not just telling you this and, and trying to say some fluff bullshit. Like I fought what nine times in Asia, eight times. I don't know. A bunch of times in Asia, I would fly someone there. That was just my buddy to just bullshit with me in the locker room because I value yeah. my mental preparation so much. So it's like, I'm not just telling you like, this is what you should do. Like I spent my money. I put my money where my mouth is to fly someone to Asia who was just my buddy who wasn't necessarily there as a coach, but that would just, you know, get me in the right frame of mind to compete. Your hype, man, your flavor, Flav. Um, <laughs> did you, uh, did, what, was there an element of fear? I mean, like you're retired. You don't have to be that tough yeah. anymore. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be it, tough anymore. <laughs> what, what was it like a, like, I don't want to fucking be here. I don't want to do it. Cause like I, no. I, I, I listen to other fighters and, and yeah. fail and Donald and the other guy, they're like, I'm going to like, they throw up ahead of time. They're so fearful. I don't know. I've never had those feelings. I, you know, when I listen to people talk like that, I actually think like, I can't really relate to you right now. Like I I'm telling you guys, I'm not, I'm I'm not retired. I'm trying to be a tough guy. I genuinely enjoyed it. I, I really did. I mean, like, you know, people say, what do you miss? It's like, there's a lot of shit I don't miss. Like I don't miss training. Um, but if I could like relive that preparation and walking to the cage, like, or, you know, or walking to the NCAA finals, Matt, so big moments like that, like, Dude, that's feelings that you you only get a few times in life, you know. Like, if I could wake up and every morning when I went down to my podcast in the morning, there was fucking twenty thousand people cheering. I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna right. get it. You know, it'd be it would be exciting. So for me, I always felt that way about it. Like I always felt really positively. I always enjoyed that. I never had those negative feelings. And I, you know what? I, I guess I could probably have a deep conversation, you know, sports psychology wise. Some people, I, I don't know. I don't know necessarily what they were fearing. What, you know, was it fear of being injured? Was it fear of failure? Like what, what was the fear of that was causing those? Well, I think it goes, I think that we all have failure. Yeah. yeah, The same thing is it's more failure. And then secondary in your sport is getting hurt. I mean, um, I'm, I mean, I think it's a fear of, I remember when I, which is a smaller scale, when I used to race in, in university for track and field, I was like, I have just set my hopes and dreams on this outcome. And if I don't break this time, I am going to be so disappointed in myself. Yeah. Uh, same thing with business. It's like, 
I want to, I want to be great. I want to be rich. I want to prove to everyone I have what it takes. And it's like, if this doesn't work, I'm fucked. And, and did you have like rituals that you did beforehand? So you had your buddy come no, shoot the shit. I think, I think rituals no. are bad. Rituals I, are bad. I, I, I think they're, I think they're very counterproductive. Um, because they, they don't really provide a purpose. The, what, the, what, the one purpose they would somehow provide is to get yourself mentally prepared to do whatever it is that you need to do. Um, but then what if it doesn't happen, right? What if the, you saw it needs you to come pee? What if something, right. you know, what if there's some way that you can't, whatever your ritual is, what if there's some way that you can't execute it? Does that mean you can't actually compete? And the answer is no, that's dumb. Obviously, you can go compete. But some people build those rituals up or those good luck charms up so much that it actually hurts them hurts when them, they're going. Right. When, yeah. And so it's like, you know, generally speaking, I know, I know where I want to be mentally. Like, so it's like, I want to have, you know, someone that I'm just going to shoot the shit with. Um, but having like a very specific ritual or a pair of socks or, right. you know, something like that or a specific song or something. I just think, I think those things it are becomes dangerous. a weakness. Yeah. It becomes a weakness. Yeah. It's a vulnerability for sure. So Connor has his phrase. He says superstition is a code word for fear. I had never heard anybody knocking superstitions. You're the second person yeah. I've ever heard yes. sort of knocking yeah. those for that same reason. Mm -hmm. Um, he also did something that I don't know if you've ever done. It sounds like you didn't really put too much uh, practice into this, but I know before the fight with Floyd, they did several like simulation days um, okay. where they would simulate fight day. Like at the same time, we're going to arrive at the yeah. arena, your hands wrapped, sit in the back, do nothing, come out. There's a ref who you don't know. And there's an opponent on the other side that you don't like. Um, mm -hmm. And they tried to simulate the feelings of that. And I found that very yeah. interesting because you know, if I'm going to give a big pitch to an, you know, an investor, I'm going to go try to raise $15 million. These are things you don't get a lot of reps at. So you kind of have to fake yeah. those reps as best as you can and under pressure. Because if you just do the pitch in your head, looking at your slide deck while you're sitting in your boxers in your bedroom, it's not the same, <laughs> not the same. as like as that. So did you yes. ever try to mimic competition in that way? No, I, I did. I didn't. But that doesn't value. And so we'll go with that. Is that I do. Th so I think competing is a skill. Competing in and of itself, right? So wrestling is a skill. Fighting is a skill, but competing is a skill, right? It's so a separate skill. Okay. It's a separate skill in and of itself. What do you want to call it? Competing or performing kind of, you know, same genre. Uh, it's a skill. And so it's like, you know, finding out that I compete best when relaxed. Like that's an important thing to find out about myself. Now, one of the things, you know, wrestlers are the most successful people in mixed martial arts without a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, part of that, I think, is obviously the technical part where we can control where the fight happens. But the other thing is that, most wrestlers, by the time they get out of college, from their childhood up, they'll probably have a thousand plus matches. And like I said, I I was wrestling in front of fifteen thousand people at the Kohl Center in Madison when I was in high school. I was competing as twenty thousand people are in front of twenty thousand people at the NCAA tournament every single year. Like, I got those big moments. I got a lot of them, right? And so before I ever fought, before I ever stepped in the cage, I had I had thousands of competitions, and I had we'll say hundreds of very big matches. Where and a boxing, so, a box, someone yeah. with a boxing base is not going to have anywhere near that volume. Or, of, or of, MMA, practice. yeah, right. MMA, no, jujitsu, no, taekwondo, you know, all that stuff, no, you're just not going to, you're not going right. to get that volume. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're totally right. Is like you need to figure out how you compete or how you perform well. You know, you know, like a speech. Yeah, you need to put yourself in as many of those high pressure moments. I mean, one thing I would, I would do, I still, I still do sometimes, but I, I would think I'm actually relatively good at it now. Um, when I want to start becoming a better speaker, when I started podcasting and I tell people to do this all the time, do Instagram lives, do Facebook lives. Why? Because listen, you, you have to, you have to figure out you're going to F up and you just got to keep on rolling. You can't say no, cut it, cut it. No, you just right. got to keep going. Right. So you have to, you have to figure out how to deal with 
You have to, and then also there's all these idiots on the on the thing saying like, <laughs> hey, Ben, you suck, you know, heckling <laughs> you. So you have to deal, you have to process all of that while you're going live. And I think it's a really, really uh, good tactic for people to learn how to speak um, just kind of on the spot and, and roll with things. How have you translated this? So like I said, I messaged you uh, before we were launching something. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm, this is scary. How, and, and this is my world right building businesses how has this those reps of wrestling and fighting translated into your ability to deal with this stuff for launching businesses so you have five you have five uh gyms you you're a real estate guy now you're launching digital stuff um how has that fear or that that ability to, to handle that translated into business yeah i mean i so again i think now, this is going to be like one of my psychology slash sports psychology thoughts. I think being so, I, just, I said, you know, wrestling is a skill. I think competition slash performance, I think that's, that's a skill in itself. The other thing that I think is a skill is, is being successful. Like literally understanding how to be good at something. I think that is a skill. And, um, you know, like I always joke with my kids about like, what do you think I just teach you a single leg and, you, and you're good at one time, you know? Like you got, you have to do it many, many, many times. And so, you know, there's all these tactics that go into being successful at something. And so like, when you start wrestling, like I know I'm going to have to put a lot of time in period. There's the, I'm not going to go be good at real estate or content creation without putting time in. I will have to, in fact, put time in, right. I will have to overcome adversity. I will have to be creative at time, points in time, right. There's all these things that are fall in place to me being successful. And I think you can use a blueprint, essentially a blueprint, and kind of cross it over. And now, are there certain tactics differently you might take in different businesses? Sure, but I, I think it's um, roughly the same from one field to another. Being successful is a skill. Uh, Sean, have you read the book Mastery by Robert Greene? No. Mm. I have read, you I, been? I, no, but I read, uh, I loved 48 Laws of Power. That was, uh, I believe I read that on your recommendation. Yeah. And it, was, so- it was outstanding. This guy, his name's Robert Greene. He's almost a historian slash philosopher, more so, yeah. than author, more so than author. And he's got this wonderful book that changed my life. It's called Mastery. He wrote 48 Laws of Power, which is like a modern version of Art of War. And he has this book called Mastery. And it changed my life. And it was just about that same thing of like, you have to get reps in and you have to master a skill set. Because if you master a skill set, you're not mastering that skill set. You're mastering being great. Yeah. There's a, there's a great little story. It's it's a little bit long, but bear with me. It's good. So, um, Hmm. so average person, here's what the average person does. Average person gets excited about racquetball and this is stolen from, from a Tony Robbins thing, but it's good. I I remember it five years later because it was that good. So average person decides they're going to play racquetball, go to the gym, check out the, the equipment. They start playing. This is a blast. They're smashing the ball against the wall, having a great time. They go home. Uh, they're like, Oh my God, I love racquetball. They start telling their friends how they, they play racquetball. They go online, they order all the gear because, you know, if you're going to do something, you better order all, all the best gear right away. <laughs> and they go back the next day and they start doing it, but they start playing against somebody who actually knows how to play racquetball. And all of a sudden, they're not smashing the ball against the wall anymore. This person's placing the ball in spots that they can't hit sometimes. And this person starts getting frustrated. And so a week goes by, two weeks go, go by, and they're just getting, uh, they're, not, they're not beating this person. And so they're like, you know what, racquetball, this is a stupid fucking sport. Uh, like, why am I- <laughs> box you know why do i have to wear these goggles this racket is small it's like a children's racket i'm gonna go play a real man sport i'm gonna go play tennis i'm gonna get out of this box so they go to tennis uh same pattern happens first week is awesome they're having a blast they order all the gear they look like roger federer they start playing with somebody who knows how to play tennis and all of a sudden you know they're sweating they're sliding they're hitting into the net 
they can't get over it. And then they're like, you know what, this is a stupid sport. Um, why am I out here, you know, uh, you know, in, in the sun, uh, baking around this thing. And the stupid net is in my way. I need a free range sport. And they go to play golf. And the first day they play golf, they just say, fuck. <laughs> they just really, golf doesn't even give you that, that initial sense. <laughs> and he talks about, he's like, there's three people in this world. There's a, a dabbler. And a dabbler is going to do exactly that. They're just going to go into each thing and they're going to get 20% of the way in and then they're going to give up when they hit adversity. Mm -hmm. And then there's the um, achiever grinder. And this is where a lot of people land, which is they're used to being successful. And so they just gr try to grit their teeth and grind through everything. And they, they try to get through the pain at all times. And they sort of become kind of masochistic about the pain and, they, and they're stressed the whole time. Mm -hmm. uh, so he actually calls it a stressor achiever. And so they're stressed the whole time. They don't enjoy it. Um, and, and that's where most people, even successful people land, but they yeah. have no fulfillment, but they do have success. And then the last group, which are the masters, uh, the masters enjoy it. They know this is going to take a long time, which is what you said, Ben. Mm -hmm. uh, they know that there's this initial hype curve and then the plateaus will come. They always come. Yeah. And when the plateau comes, they are not surprised. They're not offended. They meet the plateau like an old friend and they're like, ah, it's you. I, ex I expected to see you soon. <laughs> right, here you are. Okay, now I know how to deal yeah. with plateaus. And one of the big things is like dealing with plateau. So like for our podcast, yeah, yeah. we've grown this thing into millions of downloads in one year, but now it's plateaued actually. And we have to mm -hmm. figure out, we can't be uh, surprised or upset. We got to figure out how yeah. to deal with those plateaus. So has that applied to you in your life about yeah. dealing with those plateaus? So I, mean, so I, I, think the, I think the success is always like st a step function, right? It's right. not like everyone, everyone wants it to be like this. They do one thing here and they get one thing here, one thing here. And you know what? It's a, a regular slope line, but it's more like you do a whole bunch of work and you get nothing. And then all of a sudden, when they boom, you're up here, you do a right. whole bunch of work, you do nothing, boom, and then you're all of a sudden you're up here. But, um, you know, kind of what, what you're, I've never heard someone um, term it the way you termed it, but it actually really made me think a lot, a lot about my, uh, man, the sales pitch, my, my failure course. And I said, when you meet failure, there's, there's really three things that you can do. And I talk deeply about all of them. Um, number one, is dig in right so you dig in and you work harder and they, like you said that is the option that most people choose because it's re relatively um easy you know it's, it's not very hard number two you could pivot and you could quit and do something else which is what you talked about in the dabbler. first part yeah. at dabbler right and and, and so but sometimes it is good to pivot right um sure. you know, talk about I, I actually bring up the netflix blockbuster story in my thing and like netflix pivoted to uh, digital streaming at the perfect time, not too late, not too early, just at the right time. And then the third thing you, you could do is innovate. Um, and you know, innovate and pivot can kind of be confused. Like there's some gray area there, but for me, innovation, it doesn't mean creating something new, which, you know, I did in wrestling, right? So innovation could mean creating something new, but it could also just mean doing something new for you. Right. And so like, I, you know, I bring up a couple of stories in, in the, in the course and that's like, okay, one of the times I had to create some new, new shit. Right. And I, and I did. Right. Um, but another time it was just like, there was just this one really basic skill that I wasn't doing and I was just missing it. And so for me, innovating was bringing that basic skill and figuring out how to do it really, really well, innovating who I was as a wrestler. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of like the three tactics you can take when you see failure. And you know, obviously if you're going to be good at something, there's going to be kind of a combination of all three, sometimes you do one, sometimes you do the other, sometimes you do the third one. Um, right. You know, obviously pivoting can't happen too frequently or you, you never get anywhere. So to get to the business stuff, you uh, 
you told me your goal was to be like Tony Robbins, but for this uh, niche, like your sports. Yeah. And He's Tony like, Robbins. Well, I don't know. know if I, I don't know if I said that was my goal. I, <laughs> I, I don't remember how I, I don't remember how I said he might be putting don't words Don't think in my it mouth. verbatim. You, verbatim, sure. Yeah. Just I, like, Tony Robbins is this freaking savage. So Tony Robbins, I think, I bet you that cumulatively his business, or in some, I bet you his business is probably due two or $300 million a year in sales. Do you think so, yeah. Sean? He says at the events that he, his businesses do over 500 million in sales. I, I don't personally believe that. I, maybe I, maybe that that's like, like some enterprise value. In. Yeah, exactly. But like uh, clearly his, his core thing, which is like the workshops and then his either books or audio tapes back in the day, um, those have clearly grossed over hundred million dollars. No, no doubt. And he's the most, he's the Michael Jordan of that field of self-improvement. So yes. Ben, what, uh, what, what, first of all, Oh, okay. well, can, I, can, can I clarify my statement, statement Sean? <laughs> yeah. What I, uh, Sam, or what, what I think I, what I think I said, um, I mean, so we were talking about, you know, uh, getting into this and, uh, you know, me doing this course, which is, you know, I don't want to say you pushed me, but you pushed me in a good way. Like I need, I needed the kick in the ass to go do it. And I, you know, I've been, I, I first, I almost, I, well, I did, I wrote a book with, um, a PhD in sports psych in 2007. It just wasn't very good. So, right. This is kind of a long time coming. I always thought I was going to get into this and I, I have all these thoughts on, you know, success and sports psych and kind of how they tie together. And, and I always want to do something in this field. And I just hadn't gotten there yet. And I think I have a lot of ideas that could help people. So yeah, so you gave me the kick in the butt. And I think, I think you said something like, you know, what, what, where would you take this or what are you going to do? And it's like, well, I'm not sure, but but, you know, like, if I want to do something, I want to be the best at it. If I'm going right. to do it, I'm going to try to be the best, just like everything else I've done, I've done in my life. You know, I try to be the best wrestler. I got pretty far. I try to be the best MMA fighter. I got pretty far. You know, I'm trying to have the best wrestling academy system in, in America. We're, we're probably not all that far off being number one yet, you know, right now. So it's like when I attack something, I, I attack it all the way in, and I want to be the best. And, uh, you know, for, I don't know what you call it, the life coaching, performance coaching, like, Tony Robbins, he is freaking outstanding. So I, that's kind of like what I think I was thinking. Yeah. Sam. Yes, it was. I it was an oversimplified thing. That I said. <laughs> um, and so I, I want to ask you, like, what interests you right now in the space? But before that, even that, uh -huh. I want to set the stage, which is as a an MMA guy, like, d is that a good living? No, uh, for me it was. For for most people, no. I mean, right? I, I got lucky. I won nineteen fights. I don't want to say I got lucky. Um, I was good, and I, you know, sure some breaks came my way, and I, I was nineteen. I didn't lose for ten years, right? And so I, I and and people enjoyed my personality, so I got to end up making quite a bit of money. And th there's a handful of people who make quite a bit of money, but then you see someone like Mike Perry, who is he? He's not a nobody. He's a pretty damn good fighter. He's a fairly big name, and this man's got zero dollars to his name and owes the government a whole bunch of money. Right. So, you know, so, like a guy like you, so let's yeah. say you're in the top 1%, when well, you are in the top 1%, I don't know how many, maybe dozens or a dozen people at your yeah. level. Can guys in, in UFC like you, can you net pre-tax a million dollars a year, or seven figures a year? Yeah, yeah there, there yeah. are there are some that can do that. And there's not a, not a, the number's not big. I, you know, if I'm guessing it's 20... Maybe, maybe I, that, that is a guess off the top of my head. And obviously you can only, you know, can only compete for so long and it does take you a while to build up. And usually, you know, it's kind of like a step function. Like you said, like once you get to a certain level, they're not probably not going to drop you back down. Even like, uh, you know, it was gross, but Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz, when they fought this year, I think they made $400,000 or something, even though they're both old and terrible now. And that was, 
it was a shame to watch them still fighting. But, you know, uh, one, one of the things, uh, again, I'm going to go back to my course and talk about failure. It's like, listen, you're only going to fight for so long. And one of the things that rage on these fighters, they had this like burn the boat mentality. It's like, listen, you dumbasses. If you get to 35 and you want to retire and you have nothing to do, literally you have no other skills, you have nothing built up, dude, you're going to end back in the cage. You're going to run out of money. You're going to get used to a certain standard of living. You're also going to have almost zero income and you're going to end up back in the cage. So that pivot move, when you decide to retire fighting, you have to pivot into something. You can't pivot into nothing, right? You have to, at some point, decide, hey, I'm done with this. I'm going to do something else. You know, the guy I bring up that's on the, on the bad side is BJ Penn. I love BJ Penn. He's one of my best fighters. Sam, he went one and nine, uh, one and eight in his last nine, and Dana literally said, bro, I'm not giving you another fight. Right. So a guy like, well, let's use you, for example. I mean, were yeah. you able to earn enough from fighting that you're like, uh, I'm set for life? No. Heck, no. God, no. Okay, it was I more so be, like I'd be set for like two years or a year, maybe. <laughs> no shit, only two years, you think? If I earn no other money whatsoever when I'm done, yeah, 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 a couple of years. I mean, but I, you know, let's say I I don't live ostentatiously, but I don't I don't live like a peasant either. You know, I've um, I live in a nice house, but I you know I don't say buy like designer clothes, right? I would say. I have uh, I live at a fairly high standard. I mean, if I, if I wanted to buy like an RV and live out of RV, then sure, yeah, maybe I, I probably would have been set for life that way. Uh, negotiating with the UFC seems damn near impossible because the fighters yeah, have yes. pretty much no leverage. So to give people a sense, because most people are like, I thought athletes are rich. It's like, yeah, if you're in the NBA or the NFL, even um, sure but, you. But you hold have on, guys, different hold situation. on. Like sixty percent of those guys go bankrupt. Well, they go bankrupt afterwards. We're talking about five, Mike Perry, who's within, within active, not years. making any money, right? The, but the <laughs> well, active he spent guys, it all. He made it. Yeah. He just spent it all. Well, well, well I guess the, the thing is, like, you know, the like the top <laughs> level, the top level fighters, like you know, the John Jones and the Connors, yeah, and whatnot, uh-huh. they'll they'll make in the millions. Mm-hmm. And then the the sort of the middle class is way lower than the middle class of any other league, and the reason why yeah. is like structural, right? So, first, yes. UFC fighters are independent contractors. They're not yeah. they're not employees or guaranteed. They have no guaranteed deals. They only get paid if they fight. And right. you can get hurt. The UFC can offer you shitty fights that you want to yep. turn down. And they'll say, hey, no problem. Great. I offered you my yeah, fight. I did my contractual obligation. You don't want to turn up fights. You can't leave and go to another uh, like league uh, in most cases because they've signed you these like seven, seven fight deals. You got to finish your deal in order to, to leave. So you have basically no leverage against the UFC unless you're such a big name that you draw pay-per-views, which I think you built yourself into, right? You did the smart yeah, but thing. I, I, was, never, I never got pay-per-view points. Ever. But, but you had some leverage with the UFC because you were at least famous. Right. People wanted to watch yeah. you fight. Yeah, that's And true. so even if you didn't get the points, whatever deal you did negotiate was better than like the, even the average yes, that's true. 19 and 0 fighter, whatever that means. Like even the average yeah. great fighter won't make the type of money you made because you yes. built a personal brand. Yes, that's true. And was that intentional or that just what uh, happened? Yeah, I mean, I always figured, hey, if I'm going to do this, I might as well make some money doing it. But, you know, Mike Perry would be – and so, so obviously the reason that bottom of the barrel is like, to be a pro MMA fighter, both of you guys could do it. Here, here's the deal. All you got to do is, is be willing to get paid to get your ass kicked, right? <laughs> and so we're talking the bottom of the barrel. The baseline salary in the UFC is 10 and 10. If you get in the, get in the UFC, you can get 10000 to show up. You can get 10000 to win. Now, that, that is not including anything, right? You pay your own insurance. You pay your coaches. You pay your manager. You pay everything else out of that, right? And so you did it. And, so, and then you get a two and two bump. That's a standard base UFC contract. So if you want all three of your fights your first year in the UFC, you go 10 and 10. 12 and 12, 14 and 14. So you would make cumulatively 
uh, $72,000 before paying insurance, uh, housing, um, you know, food, coaching, training costs. Yeah. yeah all, all of that Manager. stuff, which is, yeah. and taxes, which some of these guys, some of them forget about taxes. Right. So you would, yeah, you, you would do all of, uh, you do all those things, you know? And so like, that's not a good living. Think about that. I mean, well, just taxes alone in some states, maybe 50% of that 72,000. And then you talk about, you know, all the other stuff. I mean, we're talking, that guy is probably clearing 20 to $25,000. And listen, that's the guy who had some success. That's the guy who won his first three fights in the UFC. And the reason that number, that 10 and 10, will, will never go up by that much is like, there's a thousand other dudes, maybe more, who are just freaking waiting and praying that the UFC calls their phone and offers them that 10 and 10. So that 10 and 10 could never go up because it's a supply and demand. And the supply is, is so enormous that, that it's, it's that base number, unless there's some type of league, it's never going to go up. So uh, you have five gyms. What would be good revenue for one wrestling gym? So let's see. We um, can one gym do a million? No, 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 no. We can do. I think I think a, qu- a quarter million. I think is going to be where we where we would have hit this year without Corona, and that would be kind of our, our first two. And that's that's the, the top line best. revenue. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the top line. Yeah. So I mean, for the hard gym. obviously. Yes, for one gym. The hard part about wrestling, the wrestling gym and, and just kind of youth athletic spaces, well, they're in school all day. So really, we're, we're very limited by what we could do. It's, you know, it's 530 to nine o'clock at night. And, and that, that's it. You know, so we operate at, at nights and, you know, may, maybe on a Sunday, obviously, we do some classes. But yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to go. You know, I think maybe a maximum is we could get around 300,000 in sales per year, I think would kind of be like at the very high end of, of what we do per gym. And so for us, it's going to be more of like, you know, we need to open up a handful of gyms and, and buy the buildings and kind of own the whole space. And that's going to be, you know, I mean, listen, I, I don't need a hundred million dollars, Sam. Um, you know, is that, well, I I'm not judging yeah. you brother. I'm just, I yeah, just, no, love, no, I know. I love picking shit apart. Yeah. I, I don't live ostentatiously. No, if I, if I wanted to make a lot of money, if I want to be really rich, I would probably move to New York city and try to do some type of finance uh <laughs> crazy to me but let me let but you could like you a, could make more literally just with I, public speaking fees you could literally I'd just go to say silicon I, valley well, well you could just say i'm going to go to silicon valley or i'm going to go talk to pepsi and nabisco and jp morgan i'm going to give inspirational talks i'm ben Askren. i'm an olympian i'm a ufc fighter i'll teach you about dealing with fear and i'll teach you that ego is the enemy and you could be yeah. getting paid 10 20k a pop you think um, so i don't i, I, I like... literally know people doing that yeah well, give me some I mean, gigs, bro. And I get 5K to talk. I could get you to come talk at our company right now and I get you 10K for that. You know, like, <laughs> I'm uh, in. What am, yeah. I, what am I coming? <laughs> no, literally. This yeah. is, I, I have several friends who have this as uh-huh. their playbook. And, you know, they're, they're clearing a lot of money. And then, then on top of that, they say, by the way, I have this course because, hey, this was great. This is a great session. But obviously, yeah. I've been asking. I can't be here all the time. Yeah. But if you guys want to do this leadership training that's yeah. all about blah, blah, blah then you know you buy the package that's the you know yeah. you get ben in your in your desktop you know every mm-hmm. week for the next year if you pay an additional 20k or whatever yeah you, so just, that's, you, you might have to wear a shirt though which no way i i'm 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 always me i'm not you know i'm gonna wear flip-flops and i'm gonna wear a tank top if it's warm enough um you know uh and i and i kind of told you this sam is like um and it may, maybe it's short-sighted on my side, but, you know, I never really thought about going to the public speakings. I always thought, like, I would need to have some business success first. 
you hit world class <laughs> level at something, that's enough to be to go on the circuit, basically. So, like a guy yeah. to look at is Chris Voss. I don't know. Have you ever heard of him? I feel like I've maybe I've seen him on Twitter. I so feel you, like can, you can check him out on familiar. YouTube or whatever. So this guy's story. He's a he teaches negotiation. So he's like he worked for the oh, FBI. I think I've watched this guy. Yeah, government yeah, yeah. job. You, you don't make familiar. a lot, you know, as a government official or whatever. So he worked for the FBI, but his he became world class at hostage negotiation yeah life or death situations was that the guy who like, read the book sean did he have he a, book? a book yeah. i feel like i've read his book never split he the wrote, difference never split the yes difference. i've read his i mean book. that's like yep. uh many business nerds and myself included put that in the top book of the year in 2019 right. and then yeah. he goes and he consults for companies and he teaches at harvard business school and other places uh and he just walks around and he basically says hey i was a world-class negotiator i negotiated life or death situations so i could teach you how to negotiate as a real estate agent he'll go teach yeah. a He'll go consult for real estate agencies and make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars just doing that. And he doesn't have to have any physical infrastructure or anything. Yeah. There's basically no cost to that. Now you do have to go on the road a lot, which is kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. Who knows about the kind of COVID after COVID, what that's going to yeah. look like. People are doing it via zoom for now. Yeah. Zoom. Um, yeah. I know. You know what? I, I looked this book. I, I, I talked to someone about it and I think I've watched some videos of this guy, but I've never read the book. So I'm going to, I'm going to put it on my list. Now I actually had a goal of reading 25 books this year. I'm already at 22. So I'm, I'm going to get way past 25. Um, What's the best one you read this year? Oh, okay. Let me bring up my list. So I don't, I, I would say 48 laws of powers is, is, is relatively okay. half there, but I'm, I'm going to get my That's list. Hard to read. It, it was, that was a very long read. So I, I would do, I think three chapters a day or, or something like that. Take three, three laws per day. Let's see. You know what's a good one? What you do is who you are. But Ben Horowitz, I mean, that's he's probably a famous guy in your guys' community. Yep, he yeah. that was a pretty outstanding book. I read. Uh, let's see, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. I think that that was a really interesting book, and they have a handful of books together that are that are all relatively good. The Greatest Trade Ever. That was a lot of fun. That was about the guy who bet against the housing bubble, and I think he made like I remember eleven billion dollars on a trade or something right. totally totally insane um 48 laws of power and uh yeah those are probably the best ones nice yeah. what um okay so you you're you're gonna do this course um yes you're dabbling with the ideas that sean and i are discussing what else mm -hmm. uh where else is there opportunity in the world by the way guys yes. have you heard of this thing ben and sean have you heard of this thing called um ram wad range yes. of motion yes. workout of the day, of the day. Yeah. and yep. so it's an app that I bought, I pay $100 for and it. And I just say I've got tight, tight hips or tight back and it helps me with my range of motion. They're bringing in something like uh, 11 million in subscription sales. No, I have not heard of that, but let's do a brainstorm. All right, if I'm Wait, Ben I, Askren. No, I, I have a good one, I have a good one. Okay, I'm, go. I'm so ready to answer your question. So, and this is, this is actually why I originally called you. I, will, I remember you connected with me and then this is why I connected with you is that I, I think, there's going to be like this independent media thing just that comes out like in the next 10 years where everyone's kind of just their own media person. And so my buddy who founded full sports, he founded this company called Rockfin. That's why I, how yeah. I connect with Sam. And essentially there's this payment algorithm on the blockchain where you get paid in tokens. And so obviously you can cash those tokens in the day you get them for a U.S. dollar, right? On exchange, or you can keep them. And, and the duality of that gives you the option of earning a dollar, Right or you can keep them and you can grow with the value of the company. So like, you know, and so he has a bunch of patents on this process, but think about Uber, right? If the first Uber drivers were paid in tokens, not in dollars, right? That day they can, they can cash out their tokens 
if they want for dollars. But if they say, hey, this Uber thing, I think this Uber thing is going to be something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save 20% of all my tokens. Because in any digital network, the first people in the network provides way more value than the millionth person in the network. So those first, and you could do this with YouTube, you could do this with a whole bunch of things, right? Airbnb, whatever, you name it. Ain't pretty much anything that has a digital network. And so those first drivers in Uber that maybe stored their tokens. Now, when Uber is worth many billions of billions of dollars, the value of their network is now, boom, way up, right? So now these, these original drivers who, they were a very big part. They were a very integral part of the value of the network. Now they have these tokens that are worth, you know, $5 million instead of having that $500 that they would have originally gotten. So I think my buddy Martin is really, really onto something. And that was kind of, you know, I tried to connect him with Sam because I thought there might be some interest from Sam and, you know, Sam's just kind of doing other things. So it didn't really fit at that point in time. But I think that's going to be a huge business opportunity. And so I think, I think people, so I can kind of separately, I think there will be a lot of independent media people because so many people are, are so beholden to the sponsors of the shows and i think regular legacy media is going down and independent non-traditional media will be going up in the next let five. me uh let me get background on this ben because you're 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 an insider and so many yeah. people aren't so yes uh this guy what was his name martin martin Floriani. yes martin he was a cool dude he started this thing called flow sports Yes. Flow sports is crazy fascinating. I never thought it would have worked. And I actually think the verdict is still out if it's going to be huge or if it's just going to be mildly big. And Flow Sports owns something that I was a subscriber to called Flow Track. Yes. They own Flow Wrestling. I think they own Flow Gymnastics. There's so, like 24, I think. So like non-mainstream sports that have passionate fan bases like track and wrestling. And you pay yeah. $30 a month. Pretty expensive. And no, it's, you, it's actually what they do. They, now they only have a yearly package. It's 150 a year. And that's the only package you can buy. Okay, so 150 a year, and they send these guys out to like high school state championships events, which again, sports nerds like me who and Ben who like these yeah. niche sports totally pay for it. It's pretty great. I, I don't know how big that business got. If I had a guess, I would say 30 million in recurring revenue. Ooh, I, 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 do, I, I have no idea. No, I think it, I, I would guess more actually. I, I, had seen, I had seen numbers that were bigger. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, I, I would guess it's bigger, but that, and that is just totally a guess. I don't know. So they're building up like their the like their own st TV station. It, it, that, yeah, that I think it's definitely business. bigger. I think it's definitely bigger, Sam. Oh, okay. Well, it could be. It could be. I know that they raised a lot of uh, VC and then eventually private yes. equity. So much yes. of uh, so I don't know. But my issue is I don't know if it can be big based off of how much money they raised. I think they raised a hundred million dollars. Um, I think so. Like a, a very large amount. So you you got to have a billion dollar company for that to be interesting to yeah. people who gave you a hundred million dollars. Uh, yeah. I think it maybe could be, but the verdict's still out. And so, but and so Rockfin uh, R O K F I N. It was started by the co-founder of Flow Sports. But here's my issue with that, Ben. Is Rockfin? They only have thirty five hundred subscribers, yeah. and mm -hmm. it hasn't fucking grown. I, yes. The cool thing about Rockfin is Rockfin.com slash dashboard. Yes. You could see all their numbers. They yes. had like pretty good growth when they first started. In order to make this whole damn thing work, they gotta. It's gotta grow. Yeah. I absolutely. guess. I guess it looks like growth stopped uh, in March when it's Corona right, happened. Yeah, yeah and, and obviously the other thing there was they had a really a large wrestling base because that was you know kind of Martin's first connections. But they have picked up a few good people lately. But you know what? You know, I told you I, how the optionality of keeping the token or cashing out for a dollar. Like I think that's very important. I think you know. Think about the first thousand creators of YouTube, what their tokens would be worth if they got paid in tokens versus dollars. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you a lot. 
you would be insane. You would be insanely rich based on the. I mean, the value of YouTube is so valuable that Google won't even put out the numbers on it. They've gotten a few really good contributors lately, but most people can't yet see the issue with not getting paid in the tokens, right? It's such a new concept that most people really struggle with that. And they see that as a negative, not a positive. So yeah, I mean, obviously Rockfin has some hurdles to overcome, but I think, I think when people wrap their head around, when you like really get it, you're like, oh my God. Like when you talk about like Uber or YouTube, you're like, oh, wait, yeah, that makes so much more sense. Even if say every, every, every dollar you got paid, you saved 10 cents of it in the token value. If you were in one of those early companies, uh, or you were early in one of those companies, you would be insanely rich. And so people don't yet understand the value of, of the token versus the dollar. Yeah, but I, I get it. And I think that yeah. that's I, I actually quite interesting, but they need to get more freaking users. I agree. So if I was to dumb down Rockfin, would you yeah. say that it's like OnlyFans, but for non, like OnlyFans, but for athletes? I don't know OnlyFans exact. You basically pay money to get this. You pay money to you pay ten dollars a month or however many dollars a month. But don't you don't you just pay for that one person? Yeah, Yeah. direct to that person. Yeah. Okay, so like Rockfin is it's a bundle, right? So when you pay the ten dollars, you you get everybody everybody that's on the network, which is you know so the the network effect is huge too, right? It's it's if if Sam and Sean and I have. Uh, if I have 10 people and you have 10 people and, and Sean has 10 people and we bundle our subscription, it will get 40 people, right? And, and how's the payout? What do you mean? Go ahead. Do they only pay you in tokens? Like for, if you want to get. Well, he's saying you yeah. can cash out. You can cash you can, out your tokens you if you want or you can hold. Yes. It literally takes 10 minutes, five God, minutes, this right? Is, so this idea is either going to be like the greatest thing ever or a total flop. And I, and I, I appreciate that. What do you so think, so, th- so I got super interested in this about three years ago, not Rockfin specifically, but the same model because uh, the biggest companies in the world are all based on this network effect principle, yes, right? And it's extremely hard to compete with a, a network when they have network, est- network effects established like a YouTube yes. or a Twitter or anywhere else. Yes. And so for us on the outside that are the sort of insurgent, you know, startup entrepreneurs that are trying to break in, you were always thinking about how can I bootstrap the network effect? How can I create a system of incentives? so that people want to join this new platform and not be on that old platform. And so, you know, one way to do that was this idea of, well, what if we gave the earliest people tokens? And if you come a little later, you get a little less tokens. So it incentivizes the early adoption of of our platform. And um, the tokens are used to do things like buy ads in each other's streams or whatever it is, depending on what what platform you're trying to build. So I got super excited. I was like, holy shit, this could be the new bootstrapping mechanism. And if you can think of a good bootstrapping mechanism, that's like worth its weight in gold. It's like when PayPal realized, hey, when we do this thing where you get, you know, you get $5 and you, if you give $5 to your friend to invite them to PayPal, like growth exploded, they were like, that one mechanism was, was sort of what built the network out. And so, um, yes. so similarly here, the idea would be, um, can, this, can these tokens be used to build new networks? So then a couple, bunch of people tried it. There was one that was like a Reddit, um, a Reddit style thing. It's, it's actually pretty famous. I, I can't remember the name off the top of my head right now. Um, but there's, there's basically a Reddit one where every, uh, as you post, you earn tokens. If your post gets upvoted, you earn more tokens. And it's sort of like, hey, what if Reddit lets you earn for putting out good content? Yeah. And the early people get it. And it, it did okay. It didn't do great. Yeah. Um, and then so there, one of the things, back. one of the things Martin always talks about with that is like, there the stocks are so, stock. You know, like if you give stock, people will say, well, "Why don't you give stock or something like that?" It, right. it that's that's really it's not forward looking. Uh, or, or sorry, it is only forward looking. And like the 
the blockchain, like I don't really think this token thing could have been done 10 years ago because blockchain didn't exist. And it actually lets, you know, you have some type of protocol which calculates the value of each person on your network and then reward them appropriately. Yeah, and so like uh, Ethereum is the biggest example of this, right? Ethereum basically gave you tokens for for putting compute power on the network and uh, whatever. I, I can nerd out about that, but the, yeah. the best example of this actually happened in New York. Somebody tried to take on Uber. I'm I'm forgetting their name off the top of my head. Started with a J. Yeah, Juno or something like that. Yeah, um, an so Indian guy started it. Uh, they did it not, not with tokens, but they just did it the same way where they said, hey, come on here. You're the, uh, the earliest drivers. You're going to get either shares in the company or um, you're going to get some sort of disproportionate reward for being the first drivers on the network. Then the second drivers get a little bit less. Third gets a little bit less. And then by the time it's big, you don't really earn any more share or tokens. And they actually got pretty big. I want to see what they exited for. But... Another company that did this when they launched was Jet.com. So when they launched- Really? Uh, yeah, the people who shared most, they got equity in the company. And the guy who shared most uh, ended up making a couple million bucks in stock when they were acquired by uh, Walmart. Hmm. Yeah, so it kind of worked out. So, um, so Juno got acquired for $200 million. Wow. Um, so that, that's pretty good. At one point in time. That's a great, that was, that's the biggest success story of people trying to do this yeah. exact thing. Although this is like an old principle, like, um, I met the guys from Ben and Jerry's once and Ben and Jerry's when they needed to raise money early on, they did a, a local IPO or some shit like that. It's called a direct offering or something where they okay. offered only to other people in Vermont, like local people. Really? Basically, they basically raised money from the local um, citizens and then they became owners of that shop. And then wow. so they, they were incentivized to go buy ice cream from that shop because they own, they were part, customers were owners of the, of the shop. And so this wow. is the same idea where what if the users were owners of the platform? That's kind of the core yeah. idea. Yeah. Sam Adams early users did it as well. More. Sam Adams did it as well. And they put little stock certificates in their beer six packs. They ended up raising $20 million in the 90s doing it this way. Hmm. Wow. Um, so Ben, have you heard of these athletes that are trying to tokenize their like contracts or their lifetime earnings? I, I, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. I, I think Would you have considered that or done that? Uh, I would have to think more through it. I, I, you know, I haven't took a deep dive into it, but, uh, I know, I think it was, what's his name? Spencer Dewindy. Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie. Right. I think he's the yeah. one trying to do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think it's almost like buying an insurance policy on yourself, right? Right. Um, you, you're giving away some of the potential upside. Um, but then you, you're also, um, you know, capturing some rewards right away. So yeah, I, I, th I think it's fascinating. Um, I'd have to think more about it if I want, if I did want to give away the upside or if I did right. not want to. And then you know, the other interesting thing is like their athletic career is going to end. So at some point that token value is going to go like right. this, right? Or, <laughs> or, or can you, you know, is it set up so you can capture their post uh, career stuff, right? Is, say they get into commentating or something to that effect. Can you capture right. that also? So, yeah, I think there's actually, um, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff with blockchain that that kind of allows you to do things that that um, that you weren't able to do ten years ago. About you know when you're talking about calculating the value of networks. Who, what who else do you look? Who, who do you look up to as a post post athlete career? That's like that guy crushed it or that girl crushed it. You know that's what that's the best case scenario for a post athlete career. Nobody. I, I don't. I can't <laughs> want to figure. I mean, like I don't know. I mean, obviously there's people I like, but. You know, Fucking it's like Magic you know, Johnson. Yeah, he, crushed it. he crushed it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I would like to. You know, I don't really. I I said I do the podcasting. I don't you know. I 
thought about doing the commentating, but I, I don't know. I think it's just kind of lim limiting myself and spending time where uh, I'm not going to really gain a huge amount of value. I mean, I, I think I'm going to do the business thing. I really enjoy that. And, you know, I'm going to do my podcasting. I enjoy that and probably just continue, you know, honestly, like politics fascinates me. Finance fascinates me. I don't, yet feel educated enough to really speak too deeply on those topics um but you know that's something like i would really in, enjoy to uh talking about also any other businesses ben that fascinate you or problems that you're seeing out there that uh we wouldn't know about like even yeah. in the wrestling world or uh... you can also put out a call to action there's a bunch of entrepreneurs engineers who listen to this and you're like dude you know a problem i need solved yeah. and then they'll do it <laughs> I actually pitched this on my, I have my crypto funky podcast. We talk about crypto. We talked, I was talking to, to this guy, Jason, and uh, he's kind of a huge entrepreneur also. And one of the things I said was, would be really fascinating was with, with these police shootings, you know, pe people are kind of dumbing down because they're, they're, they're making the difficulty of the police way less than it really is. And the thing with the police, I've talked to them about hand to hand combat and that type of thing before. And it's like, you can't let someone get to you because they get your gun. If they get your gun, they can shoot you, right? So it's like you can't exchange a punch for a punch. You can't really grapple with them because they could get your gun. And right. so I always thought if there was some way to make a biometric, either holster or biometric gun where, you know, it, you, the cop could not worry about that because the gun is literally not going to fire unless it's them. Right. Obviously, you have to make it fast and you have to make it reliable because if it's not reliable, right. it's not fast. It, it's going to get thrown out the window right away. So you make fast, reliable and some type of biometric data where it knows it's them. And, you know, that's not my field. I'm not an engineer. I don't know how to do that stuff. But that would be interesting because I, I think that would solve a lot of issues because it would alleviate a lot of the worries from cops. Because, listen, the last right. thing cops have a tough people. People are really shitting on cops. Lately. They have a tough job. And the last thing you want to do is go to work as a cop and get shot like. You want to you want to come home to your family every single day when you go to work. You want to come back to your family, and it, it's a tough job. People are making it like they're just a bunch of assholes. And listen, I'm I'm sure there's some really terrible cops, but there's probably a lot of really great ones too. And it's a tough job. So I I think if that invention was made, uh, it would number one make a lot of money, and number two, it would uh, make their jobs a lot easier. I don't know That's anything about that space other That's than a um, touch ID for the trigger. I like that. Yes, yeah. there's a. Um, What's the, uh, you, did you know that you guys know that taser is a business like taser? It's like the word Kleenex. It's like its own thing. Mm. It's a brand. Yeah. No, it's, no. it's a brand, uh, massive thing. I mean, billions and billions of dollars. Um, and ben, can we do a quick speed round? That's, uh, yes. MMA, MMA related. All right. So rapid yes. fire answers. Then we, then we can hop off. All right. So, All right. uh, who is your favorite UFC fighter to watch? Oh gosh. Uh, it's just going to be just because of, of friendship, but I would say uh, Tyron, which has been frustrating lately, or Daniel Cormier. All right. What, um, what percentage of UFC fighters do you believe are on PEDs? Ooh. Now, I don't think it's that high. I would say 20 to 25. Wow. But pre-USADA, I would have said 60 to, 60 to 70. Who wins a fight with you and Khabib at 170? You and your prime and Khabib in his my prime. prime. Uh, well, I, th I think I win in my prime, but I'm, I'm far past that. <laughs> All right. I love it. Sam, you got any? Besides DC and Tyron Woodley, favorite UFC guy. Uh, <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I don't your favorites. Me and, me and uh, Sean are Nate Diaz fans. I, I, you know, who doesn't enjoy the Diaz brothers? Um, so I coach Macy. So obviously I'm cheering for her every time. 
And then I, you know, another guy I was really close with because he was kind of helped me with a lot of my training was Gerald Mearshart. And he's been, I think he's six and three or six and four at middleweight. So, um, but obviously, again, those are personal relationships. And Could you and George Mas- Masvidal be friends, you think, in a couple of years? I don't think so. I mean, like, if we say if we were in the same gym from when we were younger, we probably, you know, I, I got along with everyone, right? So we probably would have been friends. But, you know, we're not going to have our paths cross. <laughs> oh, love it. Well, thank you, Ben. This is right. That was a blast. Um, what's the uh, URL going to be of your course? It's, it's not going to be live when this goes live. but No, it will not. Benaster.com? Correct, benaskin.com. That, that site is getting updated. Uh, right now it redirects to awwisconsin.com, but we will, um, it, will, it will be updated probably within a week or so. So follow Ben on Twitter, and uh, you'll definitely That's see you those know. launches. Yes. Man, this All right. was cool, man. Thanks for coming yeah, on. That was a lot of fun. Thanks, we guys. We appreciate it. See you.